If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. The world's brand of love asks your heart to accept all values. But agape love says there are two values that cannot coexist in your heart, love and envy. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah sheds more light on the destructive power of envy with tools for removing it from your life and repairing any damage it may have already done. Here's David with the conclusion of Love's Power Over Envy. And friends, it's good news that we have today. Envy is not the end. You don't have to carry that with you to your grave. You can get rid of it. You can get it out of your system. And the Bible has given us all kinds of good information to help us do that. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians 13 in just a moment. And before we're finished today, I'll have a list of things you can do to deal with envy if it's in your life. Practical things that you can uh, impart into your own system and begin doing right away. Before we get into our lesson today, let me remind you that uh, um, we have a very important event coming up in just a, a few days. We're going to be in uh, Charleston, South Carolina at the North Charleston Coliseum for a two-day event, a Friday night, Saturday morning event. Great music, great worship, great fellowship, teaching from the Word of God. It's the release of a brand new book called The Great Disappearance. Um, 260-some pages of information on the rapture. We'll have the book. If you come, you can buy the book at that event. And there's all kinds of ways for you to get involved. So if you want to be a part of this, there's still time. Just go to davidjeremiah.org and find out more information about tickets and special guests and all kinds of ways you can be involved in this special event in South Carolina. Uh we have a special uh, resource for this month. Let me just touch on it before we get into our discussion. It's the beautiful calendar for 2024, a 14-month calendar beginning in November of this year. Uh, the theme of the calendar is the unchanging promises of God. You will need them during the year ahead. And this beautiful presentation for color photography is just gorgeous. One of our better presentations, and it's available during the month of September to give you a head start, and it's yours for a gift of any size to this ministry. Ask for it when you send your gift today. Here's part two of Love's Power Over Envy. You remember, mothers, when you brought that little bundle of joy home from the hospital and the five-year-old came to check it out the first time? Initial joy was the first emotion, and then the green sickness started to slip in. Here was this little one who was held and loved and cooed over and bragged over and everybody talked about how beautiful she was and if mom wasn't holding him, dad was. And when all the neighbors came, he was the object of attention. And here's this little five-year-old who was number one, who is now number two, and it doesn't feel very good. My parents tell me that when my younger sister was born, I was praying for a baby brother 
And when my mother and father came home with Mary Alice, they took me into the room to show me the addition to our family. And my dad said, I walked in and I looked at it and I went, hmm, and turned around and walked out. I want you to know that I love my sister, and I'm sure glad that God gave her to our family. She's a joy to our life. But I don't know if I was something out of disappointment or out of jealousy. Somebody else that I have to give up a part of the love of my parents to. Sibling rivalry has written many books, and it is a common source of envy and jealousy within the family. The Bible says that when jealousy enters the front door, love goes out the back door. And watch what happens in a human family when jealousy begins to grow and develop between family members. And you will see the absence of agape. Now before we talk about how jealousy works, let me remind you that the message here is this. Jealousy travels in circles. You see, I have never been tempted one time to be jealous of a professional wrestler. I mean, it's never touched me once that I watch those guys on television. I'm not jealous of them. I sort of feel sorry for them. I'm not jealous of painters or plumbers. I don't have any problems of jealousy with uh, bank presidents or all of the rest of it. You know where my jealousy? It runs in circles. My problems with jealousy are in the circle where I live. The other guy who does what I do, who might do it better than I do it. Jealousy runs in circles. Now, how does jealousy work? Well, the first thing it does is it destroys love. Its cruelty destroys those Christians who let it replace love in their heart. If you look back through the scripture, you see a trail of destruction. Cain kills Abel. Saul tries to kill David. On and on you go through the Old Testament. Herod in the New Testament, jealous that his throne might be taken away from him, has all the children of that age killed. On and on and on it goes. The history of jealousy and envy is destruction. Envy led his brother to say of Joseph, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Elkanah's other wife repeatedly provoked the favorite Hannah. The brush of jealousy tattooed Moses with carping criticism by Korah and his fellow princes. You take too much on you, they said of Moses. Jealousy had the Samaritan Sanballat envious at the prosperity of the rebuilt walls of Jerusalem. And it was the envy of Jesus that made the scribes discount his miracles, disbelieve the blind man was healed, question all of his credentials. Over and over again in the scripture you find out how cruel jealousy really is. Jealousy, when it is allowed to grow, when it is unabated by the influx of love, jealousy can become such an evil monster that it has murdered wives and husbands, it has destroyed brothers and sisters, it has killed rivals in the professional realm, it has been the source of evil. Almost every month we pick up the newspaper and we read of some triangle where a jealous lover has killed the rival who has tried to take away from him the one he loves. Jealousy destroys. You've probably heard the story of Pat and Mike who were so jealous of one another. 
In the waking hours, Pat was obsessed with how he could add to Mike's woes because he was so jealous of him. One night, an angel appeared to Pat in the story, offering him whatever he wished. But he told him this. He said, you should know this, that whatever you ask to be given to you, twice of the same thing will be given to Mike. After a moment's pondering, Pat asked, you mean if I get one Cadillac, he gets two? The angel said, that's right. And if I get one mansion, he gets two mansions? He said, that's right. He thought for a moment, and then he said, I know what I want. I wish to be blind in one eye. That, you see, is the cruelty of jealousy. Willing to be even maimed and hurt oneself in order to destroy the object of the jealous heart. But the sad thing about jealousy is it not only destroys the object of a jealous heart, it really destroys the jealous person himself. In Dante's Purgatory, he pictures hell, and he sees in hell all the envious and the jealous people. And according to his picture of hell, they are sitting like blind beggars by the wall, for their eyelids have been sewn shut in order to illustrate that jealousy is the blindest of all sins. The jealous person is so wrapped up in himself that he cannot lovingly see anyone else. And in the process, he loses his ability to function. May I say to you that no matter how much jealousy does to the other person, it always boomerangs on the one who is jealous. It was Haman who was hanged on the gallows originally built for the object of his envy. And Daniel's friends who threw him into the lion's den were crushed by the mouths of the lions before they could ever hit the floor. May I remind you that Joseph was far better off sold into slavery in Egypt than his brothers were who were left with guilt and uneasy consciences to deal with. David in the wilderness with his psalms of confidence in God was far better off than was Saul who was eaten alive by the green sickness of envy and could not sleep at night. There's an incident recorded in Greek history of a wrestler who was so envious of the prince of wrestlers of his day that he could not be consoled in any way. And after that prince of wrestlers died and a statue was erected to him in a public place, his envious spirit made him go out every night and wrestle with a statue until one night he threw it over and it fell on him and crushed him to death. Envy always hurts the one who is possessed by that spirit. I don't know you, my friend, but I can tell you if you've got a jealous, envious heart, you are of all men most miserable. Your spirit does not hurt the one over whom you are jealous, but it is right now eating away as a canker within your own heart. Jealousy destroys, and where the jealous heart is, love cannot endure. I want to conclude by answering this question. What can I do to replace a jealous heart with the love of God? And if I am inflamed with the green sickness and the hot coal that hisses from hell, how can I displace it in my life and get back to living in 1 Corinthians 13? For it clearly says, love envies not let me make some suggestions to you for your own use or to pass on to others who may be tortured with this sin. Number one, 
You need to renounce jealousy as sin. It is not just a personality disorder. It is not something you inherited with your temperament. It is sin. Peter, writing in his book, says we are to put away all envy and jealousy. If you read the New Testament chronicles of sins, you will always find that jealousy and envy are at the very top. They are a part of the faction and the bitterness that comes from the world's wisdom. And James chapter 3 says it is demonic. As I was studying this subject, I was overwhelmed with a sense of the seriousness of this sin when I read in Matthew chapter 27 that it was the sin of envy that nailed my blessed Lord to the cross. Pilate made the assumption, and he was right, that it was envy that caused the Jews to deliver Jesus to him. And the sinless, spotless Son of God went to the cross as the result of the sin of envy. It nailed him there. And when I sense that, I realize that if I allow that in my life, I am living every day by a spirit that crucified my Lord. Envy is sin. Jealousy is sin. There's no way to say that in a nice tone, folks. It's just plain sin. And it needs to be confessed as sin. Suggestion number two. Release your loved ones who are caught in the jaws of your jealousy. If it is difficult to be jealous, it is painful to be caught in the jaws of jealousy. Oftentimes, this happens in our culture. In the relationship between a husband and his wife, when that wife begins to develop her own talents and abilities, and the husband, fearful that she will outstrip him, outshine him, outperform him, begins to be jealous over her role in the world as a professional person. And before he knows it, he's doing everything he can to keep her down, to keep her away, to keep her out of opportunity. He becomes so jealous of her that he begins to literally destroy her and inwardly she starts to shrivel up as a person and lose her identity. If I mentioned to you the name Ann Morrow, you would not know that name. But if I did mention to you the name Mrs. Charles Lindbergh, you would respond. Ann Morrow became Mrs. Charles Lindbergh, the wife of the strong pilot who set at that time a world record of accomplishment. At first she traveled with him around to all of the celebrations of his great feat and his oceanic accomplishments, but then as she began to develop her own skills, she ended up becoming one of America's best-known authors honored for her achievement. And she wrote in one of her letters that the reason she could flourish and become who she was was the love of her husband for her. For you see, love and jealousy never can live together. In one of her very poignant statements she wrote, to be deeply in love is, of course, a great liberating force and the most common experience that frees Ideally, both members of a couple in love free each other to new and different worlds. I was no exception to the general rule. The sheer fact of finding myself loved was unbelievable and changed my whole world, my feelings about life and myself. I was given confidence and strength and almost a new character. The man I was to marry believed in me and what I could do, and consequently, I found I could do more than I thought. 
Love liberates, jealousy binds. And my friend, if you've got your wife bound in the jaws of your own jealousy, if you want to know love in your marriage again, you need to open the jaws of jealousy and release her to be her own person. I'm not talking about women's liberation. I'm talking about the freedom of a person to grow and develop and be who they are within the context of God's guidelines. Number three, if you want to be free of jealousy, if you want to know the joy of liberation from that sin, number three, remember your rival in prayer every day. I dare you. One thing I will promise you that if you remember your rival in prayer every day, you will either have to get it settled with them or the jealousy will just dissipate in your own heart. You say, Pastor, who is my rival? Don't ask me such a silly question. I don't know who your rival is, but you do. And right now, the face of that person is just passed across the screen of your mind. Who is it? Do you have the courage to pray for that person? Andrew Bonar, one of the great divines of another day, was reading Genesis 37, which is the record of the jealousy of Joseph's brothers. And he said, as he wrote in his diary, This day, 20 years ago, I preached for the first time as an ordained minister. It is amazing that the Lord has spared me and used me at all. I have no reason to wonder that he uses others far more than he does me, yet envy has always been my hurt. And today I have been seeking grace to rejoice exceedingly over the usefulness of others, even where it casts me into the shadow. Lord, take away this sin from me. Andrew Bonar found out that he could not deal with envy and jealousy in his own professional life unless he could begin to pray for the success of those who were his rivals. The beautiful story of F.B. Meyer and, and his rival here in this country when he visited G. Campbell Morgan is spelled out in history's annals many times. F.B. Meyer said that he finally had to begin to pray for G. Campbell Morgan like this, Oh God, bless that man so much that I can flourish from the overflow of his crowds into my church. Pray regularly for your rival. Number four, reaffirm God's goodness to you and learn to be content with such things as you have. If I could say that the antithesis of envy and jealousy is anything, I would say that the antithesis of envy and jealousy is contentment. When you are content, you do not become jealous. I read an interesting little parable about a snail. A little snail that lived by the ocean noticed with envy the big and beautiful shell in which the lobster lived. What a grand palace the lobster carries on his back, he said. Oh, I wish I lived in his place. Oh, wouldn't my friends admire me in that shell? And in time, a wonderful thing occurred. Though watching envious snail beheld the lobster walk right out of his shell to grow up in another larger one. And when the empty lobster shell lay neglected on the beach, the snail said, Now I shall have my wish. And he boasted to all his friends that he was going to take up residence in a grand new palace. The birds and the animals watched. 
the snail pull himself loose from his own little shell and proudly crawl into the towering lobster shell. And he huffed and he puffed and he blew and gasped in an effort to make himself fit. But with all his effort, he felt so small inside that great big grand lobster shell. And he grew tired too. And that night he died because the great empty shell was so cold. And a wise old crow then said to the other younger crows, You see, that is what comes of envy. What you have is enough. Be yourself and save yourself from a lot of trouble. How much better to be a little snail in a comfortable shell than to be a little snail in a big shell and freeze to death? Contentment. When was the last time when jealousy began to intrude into your loving heart that rather than let that jealousy begin to grow, you just stopped for a moment, took a brief inventory, and said, Lord, you have blessed me better than I deserve. You have given me this, 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 and this, and I have nothing to complain about. I've already seen more, done more, had more, enjoyed more than I ever thought I would ever have from your hand, and it's all been a matter of your grace. A thankful, grateful, contented spirit pushes envy away. They cannot coexist. And then last, but not least, rekindle God's agape love in your heart through prayer and the reading of God's word. Agape love is something that can be learned. It can grow. It can flourish. It can develop. The old adage that I don't love someone anymore or I don't feel something anymore needs to be abolished and abandoned. For love is a feeling, yes, but it's an art to be learned. And agape love can be rekindled in your own heart. The great blind preacher, George Matheson, adequately grasped what I've been trying to say when he wrote these words. He said, Christian love is the only kind of love in which there is no rivalry, where there is no jealousy. There is jealousy among the lovers of art. Yes, there is jealousy among the lovers of song. And there is jealousy among the lovers of beauty. The glory of natural love is its monopoly. Its power to say, it's mine. But the glory of Christian love is the refusal of monopoly. The spiritual artist, the man who paints Christ in his own soul, wants no solitary niche in the temple of fame. He would not like to hear anyone say he is first of his profession. There is not one that can hold a candle to him. He would be very sad to be distinguished in his profession of Christ, marked out as a solitary figure. The gladdest moment to a man who has the love of God will always be that moment when the cry is heard, Thy brother is coming up the ladder. <laughs> Thy brother will share the inheritance with thee. The man who has agape love sees that not as a rival, but as the abundant blessing of God in his sovereignty upon all mankind. My friends, if the flower of God's love is to grow in your heart, the weed of envy and jealousy needs to be pulled for it will destroy everything God wants to do. It will ruin your relationship with your family, 
Husband, it'll destroy your relationship with your wife. Wife, your relationship with your husband. My friend, it'll make it impossible for you to function in the workplace, in the marketplace, and be a Christian testimony for Jesus Christ. For where jealousy and envy are, love cannot exist. And Paul said, love envies not. Amen. Tomorrow we begin our discussion of love's power over pride. I hope you'll be with us then. Uh, before we say our final goodbye, just a word about our cruise coming up in December. Uh, we're so excited about this because it's such a wonderful way to end the year and begin the new year. You come out of the hassle and, and frenetic activity of Christmas. You kind of get that out of your system. You get on a cruise ship and you sail away from it. And during that time, you can refocus, get reset, get ready uh, for the new year as you think about all that God has for you in the future. We'll be sharing wonderful truth from the Word of God. We have the Martins with us, uh, the wonderful ministry of Uriel Vega, and, uh, of course, Michael Sanchez, our great worship leader and singer. We'll have a great time. I hope you'll come with us. Find out more about it by going to davidjeremiah.org, and uh, there you will find uh, direction for you to get involved. We'll see you tomorrow right here. Thanks for joining us. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God blessing you through Turning Point? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4, visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2024, focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen anytime you like on our Turning Point Plus streaming service. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. The website for USA Today published the results of a survey on the most desirable traits of business owners. The most desirable trait was thinking outside the box, and the least desirable was workaholic. 
a creative boss was to be preferred over a boss who works all the time. Which describes God, being creative or being a workaholic? I vote for being creative. After all, God took the seventh day of creation off to rest from the creative work he did the first six days. It might even be that taking time off to rest and recharge will help us be more creative. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's patterns for life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.